HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's the first episode of 2018. It's weird to say that because it's actually 2017. We're pre-recording right now. (laughs) Uh, But it's episode number 93 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm very pleased to have managed to catch Sasha Bernstein here in the studio. Uh, She lives in San Francisco, but happens to be in New York for the holidays here at the end of December. Uh, She's the founder and executive director of The Cooking Project. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, can you introduce yourself and tell me about the best thing that you cooked or ate this week? Oh, um, yeah. So I, um, I'm actually from New York, so it's good to be home. I try to come back as much as I can. Um, Daniel and I, Daniel Patterson and I, uh, Michelin star chef, uh, co-founded the cooking project in 2013 to help build self-reliance in youth and set them up with the skills that they need to feed themselves better. Um, working on a few new exciting things for 2018. Um, the best thing that I cooked this week, well, it's good to be home. Um, sure. And so my family is um, we're a fishmonger family, um, fourth generation, almost fifth generation at Fulton Fish Market. And so my stepdad brought home some amazing salmon um, from Iceland, from the Faroe Islands, actually. Wow. And so we just made that really good marinade with... Lots of ginger, uh, lime, soy, baked it, broil it at the end. It's really good. Awesome. It's probably the best thing I had. Sounds delicious. Um, the best thing I cooked this week or ate this week was cookies. I brought a few into the into the studio. They're very good. Um, we have a family tradition <laughs> of cooking, making Christmas cookies, even though I grew up Jewish. Um, so 
I want to understand, uh, you know, you just introduced the cooking project and, and how you and Daniel founded it. How, how did it actually, like, how did it start? What happened in 2013 that gave you and Daniel the spark of the idea? Yeah. Um, so Daniel actually had been working with Larkin Street Youth Services, which is an organization in San Francisco that provides housing and education and uh, job training to youth who are transitioning out of being homeless. Um, and so he had been inviting them over to the Qua Kitchen, which is his now just this year, three Michelin star restaurant, which is... Congratulations to him. Yeah. Um, thanks. And so he'd been inviting kids to come cook in his kitchen with him periodically and just teach basic cooking skills. What we found, and, and I was seeing this too in the work I was doing at the Ferry Building, um, Queso, which uh, is the farmer's market in San Francisco, bringing kids there, is that a lot of kids just aren't growing up with basic cooking skills anymore. It's just not being handed down. And this isn't something uh, necessarily for vocational skills. This is just a life skill on sure. how to take care of yourself and have options beyond fast food and packaged goods. Yeah. So um, so he's just basic, teaching really basic stuff. Like we were just talking about, you know, fried rice, pancakes, um, you know, how to make food that you want to eat, that mm -hmm. you can afford to eat, that's delicious and um, is something, you know, a different option that's better for your body. And makes you feel good that you know how to do this by sure. yourself. Yeah. And so he he had found that that it was working, and I had been having a similar experience at the the farmers market where we're doing um, some classes. And uh, we came together. We both I I used to be a program director for a big food and wine festival in San Francisco, and so he and I had crossed paths, and we were at a different food and wine festival, and it was all this like fun party time. But you know what else can we do with all this, this talent that chefs have and how can we use that in a way, you know, that feels uh, more community oriented than just the fun parties. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, I, you know, I think that that's one of the things with the, with the rise of the food network and with chefs becoming household names um, and people, you know, all over the country, all over the world tracking these things. I mean, I, I came across a, a, a copy in my office today. I was cleaning up because this time of year seems like it's like the time to clean up your desk. And I came across a copy of the uh, Beard Foundation magazine from the like mid nineties about culinary education. And I was looking at it and I was like, man, I was like, no, back in the nineties, except for a very small group of people, these chefs were not household names nationally, right. right? I mean, yes, people who subscribe to gourmet or people who subscribe to food and wine or the Beard magazine, which I'm sure did not have a very large circulation, knew who they were. But now with the rise of TV and social media, people know who these chefs are, but a lot of it is this kind of, oh, it's a contest. Oh, food is, a, you know, food is something we play with, or how big can we make a hamburger? Or how many calories can we fit into this thing? Um, and what you guys are doing, I think, is really valuable. I think it's, it's really important work. Um, when you say youth, how, does, how, is that, how do you define that? What is the age groups you're working with? That's a great question because a lot of people, I think, when I first say that, picture children. We yeah. don't really work <laughs> with the little guys, um, although that's really fun, too. Um, the kids we work with are about 14 to 24. So uh, transitional age youth is kind of a buzz term, but kind of in that age where they're starting to be responsible for taking care of themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think back to my time in that age range and I was lucky. I mean, I had a, you know, 
both my parents were my parents were together and they were still alive and but I certainly saw people that I knew and saw friends who had difficult home lives who didn't stay at home all the time and some of them were sometimes partially homeless or they moved into squats and did that kind of thing and so suddenly at 15 or 16 you are responsible for yourself in a way that you maybe had been but in a different environment previously and so those are real life skills um, and you know and if you don't have a home environment where you're learning to cook from your family and your family's fifth generation fishmongers right <laughs> How, where do you pick that stuff up it's gone from schools right right it's a problem um i think there's a somewhat of a movement to bring it back into school sure. i mean I, I think there i think i think we are i i hope and i think that especially with uh, you know, with, with things like the Cooking Project and the Brooklyn Kitchen and other things that I see. I mean, there's a thing in New York City called Wellness in the Schools that my eight-year-old mm-hmm. daughter is part of, and that's well-funded by, you know, Breville and Allclad and a couple of other big OXO and some big companies. But they have a full-time person who works with the cafeteria staff mm-hmm. to provide more healthy options and then teaches every student in her elementary school. And that's a public school. So, I mean, I think we have that's crested. Great. I think we're coming up out of sort of the, the dark valley of this, right? Right, right, right. Which is ironically, some of it came from like one of the backlashes of women's lib. It was like, we don't need this like home ec in the school. Like, oops, wait. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe a little bit would be good. <laughs> yeah, or just don't make it gender biased. Right, right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I had a I, I had coffee earlier today with a friend. Um, I won't say who it was, but if she's listening, she'll know who it is. Um, who was telling me that her uh, her boyfriend, um, not super recent, but real relatively recent boyfriend, is really into hunting. Huh. And so it's this very interesting like gender role thing that's happening where like she, I mean, she's gone to like the shooting range with him, but she's not really interested in hunting. But he's like, oh, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna you know I'll I'll kill a deer and you can cook it. Because he doesn't really know how to cook. And it's like this weird thing of like the falling into those gender roles. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. My brother does that. My other brother. I have one brother here. I have another brother who... We're joined by another Bernstein in the the (laughs) studio. Silent. Perhaps we'll hear from him later. Um, Yeah. They they hunt um, on their property. They're in upstate New York. Uh, And it's... Yeah, exactly. And then she... She, he butchers it and breaks it down, and then she cooks it. Yeah. yeah, works. So the the youth that you're working with in that in that age range, um, do they, are they part of some other program? Are they coming out? So they're coming. The Larkin Street Project was the, is that and is everyone you're working with part of that program? It's a, a great question too. Um, we did find that it does work best to partner with existing youth organizations. So we work a lot with schools and other nonprofits. Larkin Street is a founding partner. We also work a lot with the Guardian Scholars Program, which is a great, great program that is for kids transitioning out of the foster care system. And they are part of colleges. So we work with Skyline College, uh, SF State. And it is a subgroup within the college that helps um, with extra support and guidance. And so they'll come down as a group and we cook together and it's really fun. And we talk about our day and, you know, anything that you would around a normal family meal. And we really encourage the chef. We get amazing chefs from around the Bay Area um, and people from all different countries that come share their meals and we really encourage the chef teachers not to make necessarily something that they would make at their restaurant but maybe something that they like to eat at home or that they grew up with something that has a personal story um, because that really translates then it means something to the kids like they're getting this personal insight and connection and you know that's what food does 
Absolutely. I mean, it, it connects people for sure. How, um, once they are involved or they're identified either by SF State or Larkin Tree Project as, as someone who's going to take part in this, what does it look like for them schedule-wise? I mean, is this a one-off? Are you just hosting these events and they can just drop in or is it a course? Yeah. So we have uh, experimented with both and what we're moving into next year is a series format. So there are 10 different themes that we cover in the classes, um, anything from knife skills to um, cultural appropriation through food and, you know, all different, uh, a spectrum. And uh, each chef will weave that into whatever dish they're sharing. And the kids can, um, they come in, it's about uh, once a month to twice a month. Every other week works pretty well. Yeah. And, um, and then so over the course of, say, a semester, they'll experience uh, all the different themes. Cool. Um, and do you have anyone who, because the program is now four years old, who was in the program in the beginning? Do they come back and sort of like serve as role models? I mean, I guess that gets a little weird as they get older, right? They're not yeah. the same age yeah. as the right, right, students. Right. But. No, yeah, we, have, we do have a couple of kids that, that come back um, a couple, uh, one, one guy that comes to mind, Armand, he actually left San Francisco a few years ago, but he was really uh, supportive in the beginning and really helped get a lot of his peers and friends to come to classes, which was made it much more fun, you know, great dynamic. And uh, when he's in town, he'll come back and help out with classes, which is fun. Very cool. And we're actually working on um, something that will start this year, too, is um, so Daniel has local which is this healthy fast food project that he does with Roy Choi kind of food truck yep. king and we're working on a pipeline uh, project there that will offer job training through like local as a hub and so wow. kids that complete our 10 core series or eight of the 10 and then do a capstone uh, can go to that program and learn how to uh, work in a professional food environment either in a kitchen or in some other part of the food industry. So, um, very cool. It sounds very similar to the Brownsville community, uh, center um, yeah. project that, uh, yeah. Klaus Meyer and his group have been undertaking. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really cool to see the echoes, um, happening in different satellite cities, um, especially on the coasts. Well, and I think that, I mean, I think what that proves is that there is a, I mean, I, it feels a little weird to call it a market cause we're not talking about something that's like I feel like the market as a term gets bandied about about the stock market and you know big money and all this stuff but it is right there's there's a market there's a need hmm. there's a constituency that can that can take advantage of this in order to change their lives for the better yeah and just and create more opportunity and and build confidence yeah yeah cool um we're gonna take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at heritage radio and when we come back uh i want to talk about uh your experience in the two great food cities, New York and San Francisco. Heritage Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founding sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Foods got its start when Patrick Martin's first stepped foot onto Frank Reese's Kansas farm in 2001. Back then, Frank was the only farmer in America raising true heritage turkeys with recorded lineages tracing back more than 150 years. Patrick knew instantly he'd found a unique moment, an opportunity to go beyond acknowledging these breeds as being jeopardized and to actually do something to save them. 
Patrick asked Frank to ramp up production and made a promise to him that if he would raise them, Heritage Foods USA would sell them. That was the moment that Heritage Foods' slogan, Eat Them to Save Them, was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from Heritage Breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come. Plus, Heritage Breeds just tastes a whole lot better. Learn more at HeritageFoodsUSA.com and use the code HERITAGERADIO for two free pork chops with your first order, brother. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and uh, joining me in the studio today is Sasha Bernstein from the Cooking Project in San Francisco. Um, if you uh, are just tuning in before the break, we were talking about the Cooking Project and what it does, uh, working with youth who are transitioning uh, out of foster care or uh, homelessness in San Francisco to give them the life skills that they need to be able to cook for themselves, um, and sort of and, and all the things that go along with that of accomplishing things and feeding yourself and budgeting and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. hope that's an accurate description. That was perfect. <laughs> I'm going to borrow that. Cool. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk about, you know, San Francisco and New York. I mean, you uh, grew up in New York, but you live yep. in San Francisco. Yep. Um, both great cities. Uh, you know, both, both of them fit the bill for what I think of as a great city. Uh, one, for me, one of the most important things about a city is uh, not only that it have a diverse population, but that it have really good transit. Uh, both San Francisco and New York have good transit. This time of year, actually, I feel like New York uh, gives a little bit of a nod to San Francisco. San Francisco has all the great streetcars, the old (laughs) ones from all over the country that Uh are in like all the time operation, which I find amazing. I feel like, I don't know if people know this, but you know, they have them from all these different transit systems from all over the country and they're in constant operation. In New York, once in a while, usually around the holidays, you can catch the antique trains being trotted out and sort of appearing magically at your station. It is pretty cool, actually. I think we don't give that enough credit. Yeah, sort of I mean, like I, a moving museum of yeah. cable cars. Yeah, and and it's amazing to me that it's just in constant operation. I don't. I feel like it's one of the few places that can pull that off. I think it'd be very hard if like Chicago decided to use antique buses. I don't think it would really work. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so when you come back to New York, uh, what do you look forward to in food? Oh man. Definitely red sauce. Um, you know, that speaks to my heart. Grew up on that style of Italian. Um, and the seafood, for sure. Like I said, come from a seafood family. So yeah. I mean, um, San Francisco's got some good seafood, too. It's true, but I don't know. I think I'm just so close to the source in New York. Right. So I have, it's an, and it's an unfair bias. Yeah. yeah. That blue ribbon fish is, is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that Italian red sauce, the seafood. Um, you know, I think just uh, there's such a high regard for quality in both places, um, quality of ingredients, quality of experience. Um, there's, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I, I could just explore New York. I mean, obviously you could never run out of places to try. Yeah. Um, so that always makes it exciting. And the diverse population, like I said, is one of the things for me that's always, you know, so great to be in both places. I mean, I can, Mm -hmm. I can think of, uh, I mean, there are, I can think of dozens of restaurants in both cities that I've been to that I couldn't tell you the name of it. I mm. can picture it in my head. Mm-hmm. But like in San Francisco, a friend of mine took me to this like tiny little dim sum place that had like carpet on the uh-huh. floor and was not much uh-huh. bigger than the studio we're sitting in. And I couldn't tell you anything about it except <laughs> that it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, or like taco places in New York. I mean, and in San Francisco, and just sure. having that diversity. It's um, true. That sometimes when, you know, when I'm, when I'm traveling to other places, I sort of am like, well, all right, there's not that same depth because there isn't a community. 
right. necessarily. But then you find other weird communities in different places. It's true. It's true. Yeah, we live in the inner sunset of San Francisco, which uh, has a high population of, of Asian people from around the continent. And so there's really amazing representation. And in the most unassuming places, like it really looks like there's no way good food comes out of that place. And then you go in and it's like incredible. Yeah. Burmese so, food is one of my favorites when mm, I go My back husband's to, too. When I go back to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's one of, one of, <laughs> one of the best. Um, and then, so, so when you, and then when you spend time in New York, when you get back to San Francisco, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, Burmese is your husband. So you said red sauce when you come to New York. What do you think of when you go back to San Francisco? <laughs> uh, the Vietnamese food is really good. The pho is pretty ridiculous. And the burritos, uh, or, you know. That's the thing. I feel like I feel like no matter how hard New York tries, we haven't got the burrito. <laughs> well, we don't have the pizza in San Francisco. They haven't figured that out. Fair point. And and, I, <laughs> and there's something nice about that, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I you know, yeah, we live in the Amazon age where like tomorrow you can have anything at your door, but like right. some things you can't. And there's, so you got to travel a little bit. It's true. There's that famous Lucky Peach cover where it's just the pizza burrito <laughs> face off. It's, yeah, it's one <laughs> that will never die. <laughs> Um, so you have a 16-month-old daughter. Yes. What's her name? Her name's Sierra, Sierra Elia. Awesome. I was looking at your Instagram page earlier. <laughs> um, she's cute. Thank Beautiful you. Beautiful little kid. She's really fun. There was a great uh, black and white picture, I think, of her eating a Wise and Sons everything bagel. Yes. With a container of their everything. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what to call the it. Seed. Shake. The seed mix. Yeah, the shake. <laughs> Yeah, she was really allured by that. Like, what is this magicalness? And she just like spooning it into her mouth. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like showering with it. Yeah, my um, son did that with nutritional yeast the other day. <laughs> I like walked out of the room for a second, and he had opened the jar and stuck a spoon in, <laughs> oh, and then taken a whole mouthful. And it was one of those things where you could see on his face. He's four. But I could see on his face this moment of like he thought it was such a good idea. Yeah. And then he suddenly had a mouthful of this like dry so, sort wait. of salty powder. And he, <laughs> I could tell that he like realized it was not such yeah. a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um, so she clearly likes bagels. She loves bagels. She's uh, what a carb else does she girl. Like? She loves like a lot of white food, which is like really hard for me. I'm like trying to expand. I'm with her. you. It's so weird with kids. <laughs> it's super weird with kids. All I can say, we've tried over the years and been sometimes more or less successful, but I told my children uh, that this year, Mm -hmm. like my New Year's resolution for our family Mm -hmm. is that they have to try everything I cook because I'm tired of getting this no thing at the table. They don't have to like it, but they have to taste it. So like last night, I made sushi for the kids and me, and me, it was just three of us at home. My wife was out and I made one that had eggplant in it. And my daughter said, I don't like eggplant. And I said, you can't, how do you know? You haven't tasted this eggplant, right? right? Like you can't make that blanket statement. So I made her taste it. She then said she didn't like it, which is fine. I said, right. I, I, that's cool. You can, you can say you don't like it, but you got to taste it. Right. Three times also. I heard. And I, you had a guest on, I can't remember her name, but who has, uh, who does similar stuff to the cooking project, but with younger kids cooking in schools. Yeah. And um, something she said really resonated because I've had the same experience, which is if you get the kids involved in some aspect of the preparation, that ownership, all of a sudden it's like, all right, I'll try it. Like, I was I made just this. thinking about that today when I was walking over to the studio about what am I going to, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? And I, for Hanukkah, I gave my son his first knife, his first kitchen Ooh. knife. And so I'm like, oh, maybe I can get him to help me cut sweet potatoes. Yeah. And then he'll hopefully eat them. So what's a first kitchen knife like? What'd you give him? Um, I gave him, there's a, there are, there are lots of kids knives on the market. A lot of, you know, in the schools, in my daughter's school, they use uh, plastic 
knives, which I'm not mm-hmm. really into because mm-hmm. I feel like it doesn't teach kids the right respect mm. for the blade because it's not sharp. Mm. Um, but I also understand why a public school can't hand a class of 25th graders oh, yeah. sharp pieces of steel. I mean, I, I get it, <laughs> right? Um, the nurse already gets enough visits, I'm sure. Yeah. So, uh, but I gave him Mac, who's a Japanese knife company, make a very cute rounded front okay. um, kid's knife. It oh, comes that's with a colorful smart. handle. Um, and it, it's just, it's shaped, you know, the, since the front is blunt, I mean, the, the right. blade itself is very sharp, but the front is blunt. So there's no danger of them like whipping around and stabbing right. you with it right. by accident. Right. Um, so I feel like it's a good starter. That makes a lot of sense. That's smart. Yeah. You said it's Japanese. Yeah. They're brilliant. Like so much good design. Coming. It's true. <laughs> Opinel, who's a French company also make a really mm-hmm. nice one. Um, that has a little ring at the back of the blade mm. to put the, the pointer finger through, Okay. which is good because it sort of gives kid a, kids a really solid grip on it. Oh, that's smart, <coughs> too. My concern about that one for him is that Frank, my son, is very he's small, and I don't think his finger will fit correctly in there, so I felt like that one would be harder for him to use. Mm, okay. So, um, so white, she's into white foods. Does that, <laughs> does that expand into, like, things with more interesting taste? Okay, her number one <coughs> is uh, cold, raw uh, tofu. Just plain. All right. Pretty pretty boring. Um, mm. Yogurt. She likes all yogurt. Um, plain. Uh, we give her organic grass milk yogurt because, you know, I want her sure. to get her nutrients yeah. since she's limited in her but is, likes. Is, is her issue with the, is it, is it, does it have to do with flavor or it's just, or is the color an issue? No, she'll try other stuff. She will try other things. She likes it. That's just <coughs> the, the most successful items are pasta. But to be fair, I mean, her dad, I'm going to throw him under the bus a little bit right now, but he's from the Midwest and he'll like be the first to say like his favorite food is like mac and cheese, potatoes, bread. Like he's kind of like white food too. Yeah. It's not that bad. It could be worse. Oh, I mean, it, it could be, it could be much worse. She could be refusing to eat. Right. right? There you go. Hunger strike is always, a, is always a tough one with kids. Oh, please. No, I know. <laughs> Um, do you have any New Year's resolutions since this is the first Feast Your Ears of the New Year? Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. I definitely want to play with more new ingredients. I think if I could try a new ingredient per week, that would be oh, good. that's a good one. And um, including, like, you know, different fats. I really want to do more with ghee. Yeah. Um, Organic Valley, who I work with, has a really delicious ghee, but I actually haven't used it yet. Um Alternative flowers, like we were talking about, um, and also just produce. The Bay Area has amazing produce, and while I'm living there, I should try all the weird, weird to me, um, but not too many others, vegetables. Well, but I I mean, I think there's a lot of, I mean, I I think we're still in a moment where there is still a lot of that, oh, that's weird thing, and and it's cool that that can still happen. I mean, you know, you and I who are in the food space and have been for a long time, I love that there's still new ingredients. Mm-hmm. Right? And there are still things. It's like, wait a minute, what? And we, we were at the like. I think I mentioned earlier, because of our son's allergies and his allergy to wheat, we shop in Asian supermarkets a lot. And we mm-hmm. were in the Korean. There's a Korean uh, H Mart in in Flushing that we go to uh, a lot. It's like one of our regular supermarkets that we go to. And my nice. wife bought a package of something that was called Dot Greens, huh. and it looked kind of <clears throat> like purslane or okay. like mosh, but it wasn't quite. And I don't actually know hmm. what it was. But they were delicious. 
Huh. Did it have that like succulent? Almost, to yeah. It? They were like little, almost like <clears throat> oval pods huh. coming off of a central stalk. Dot greens. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that is a like translation or if that's the, the Korean. Somebody could email oh. me if they want to let I'm gonna me know look. that if they know. <laughs> okay. Um I to be honest, because I'm old and I'm a Luddite, I didn't instantly whip out my phone and Google I'm search it. I just was like, I that. opened it up and I was like, hmm, <laughs> this looks like something I recognize. And I, it's clearly food. It was for sale at the supermarket. So we ate it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> didn't seem like that big a deal. Um, does, your, does your daughter like insects? <clears throat> um, well, I'm trying to think, you know, actually my good friend and neighbor has bitty foods, which is all insect flower chips and stuff. And so I'm trying to think if she's tried them, they're delicious. Yeah. I don't know if she's had them, but she should. When my daughter was about about Sierra's age, we did a bug dinner at the Brooklyn Kitchen. And regular listeners are probably like, oh, my God, he tells the same stories every week. But um, we had this bug dinner, and we were preparing for it. And it was a San Francisco-based chef, actually. Uh, his name escapes me at the moment. Hmm. But my, I was holding Moxie in one arm, like on my hip kind of. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at all the array of insects, and there were wax moth larvae. And I was holding one between my thumb and my first finger of my other hand and she could like barely speak and she just opened her mouth and leaned over and ate it like it was alive it was squirming around squirming around and i thought to myself man how did this kid like know in her instincts that the thing i was holding was food right it was super interesting and she has always liked edible insects my daughter loves edible insects just it was just innate that's such a cute baby bird moment yeah Absolutely. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> we have a video of it somewhere to make sure we trot that out when she's a teenager. Yeah, that's a good goal. I'm going to, um, that's another resolution. Get Sierra to eat bugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to know about, uh, since we were talking earlier about, uh, I was making cookies and the cookies I brought into the studio today are my great grandmother's recipe. Um, you have a blog post about your grandmother's cookies. Yes. Tell me about oh. them. Um, yeah, that's my dad's mom. My dad's Israeli. And his mom, uh, before she was, her name is uh, Carmela Nathanson, um, married was Bernstein. Um, but her. Carme- Carmela doesn't sound like an Israeli name. Yeah. Um, well, she, she was born um, on, the, on Mount Carmel in Haifa. Oh, cool. I think that's where the name came from. How, how interesting. Um, yeah. Because the, the Carmelas I know are like old ladies in Williamsburg. You know? <laughs> okay. Italians. <laughs> oh, that, oh, yeah, that would work. Yeah, she, um, her mother, it was her mother Dina's recipe, and it's really just, um, they're called petit gâteau sec. They're like really thin um, biscotti, essentially, but thin cracker, like like people have them a lot with soft cheeses now. Um, But actually my uncle, my dad's first cousin, um, I guess my second cousin, started a business, Almondina, and you can find them. Oh, I know those. They're delicious. They're that's good. That's your grandmother's. Dina is my that's, great-grandmother. Oh, that's really cool. So Almondina, that's where the name came from. But nice. yeah, she used to have a whole, like, really good Jewish grandma. She would have a whole loaf, like, in the freezer at the ready in case guests just pop by. Of course, you have to do you, that. Now you right? have something, like, ready. Pop it in the toaster. Oh, that's awesome. Fresh cookies. Well, I'm going to go back and look at that recipe, and maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll make some. Maybe next year as part of our Jewish family Christmas cookie event yes. maybe we'll adopt that every couple of years we add another cookie into oh. the sort of into the canon so that's good you well you could we'll put in one. those like um you know those like colored candied dried fruits oh yeah to give a little red and green sure to christmasify them <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds awesome so uh, if people are interested in that that is on the cooking project website yes yeah. 
Um, and if you want to find the Cooking Project website, uh, it is thecookingproject.org. Yeah. Um, we are just about out of time. Um, but I wanted to, you had mentioned that you have some other things coming in the new year. Do you have exciting new other, any other new projects or new events that you want to mention on the air? Sure. Well, I would, yeah, just that we're going to be doing more, um, job training for youth. That's something that we're really excited about and, um, creating more opportunities. Um, I know I, I think, um, that's a, that's a big goal. And I'm really excited. My, I mentioned I have one brother who's here who's joining the family business, which I'm super excited about, Blue Ribbon. And then my other brother is launching a cider company called Abandoned Hard Cider. It's going to be available throughout the Hudson Valley and New York City. And um, so I'm really proud of both of them, as well as my sister and other siblings. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of pride for all of them. But those two in particular because they're foodie. Cool. Um, and since we're going back and forth talking about the new year and the old year, because we're in December here for this interview, um, holiday tradition plans? Do you guys go out yeah. for Christmas? Do you we, eat in? This, it's our favorite night of the year. My stepdad and I were just talking about it this morning. Um, every year for Christmas Eve, even though we're also Jews, we have a lot that focuses around Christmas because it's like an excuse to get together and eat lots. Of course, yeah. Um, so each year we do... I mean, do, that's the whole thing about Jewish holidays, right? Yeah. They tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. I mean, yeah. that's <laughs> Again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, each year we pick, pick a different um, country to visit um, by food. Oh, and wow. um, we get a bunch of blue ribbon fish home, like... Seven Feast of the Seven Fishes style, and we get at least seven different kinds of seafood. And so we do, we've done like paella and bouillabaisse and chupino. And then we did a Peruvian dish. We've done pancit. And this year, I think we're going to Japan. Oh, nice. So we were just looking at either doing some kind of like hot pot or some kind of sushi followed by carbonara, Japanese carbonara. We'll see. Oh, that sounds awesome. I was just talking with David, who's our engineer here at Heritage Radio. His family is Italian, Philadelphia, and they do Feast of Seven plus fishes every year. Yeah. And I, his grandmother, who's 90, still makes the bacalao. Oh, we have some of that. I'm excited. And I just saw this video of like these crazy live eels that they have at the market right now. Wild. Apparently, that's a big a big one. Yeah. That. I mean, the, the uh, yeah, I mean... In, in Japan, if you go to Sakiji, which is the, I guess, I, I believe, and, you know, I don't want to, like, come down on Fulton Fish Market. I think Fulton Fish Market is the second largest fish market in the world, and Tsukiji is the first, technically. Um, but in right. But in Japan, there's an entire section, and I haven't been to Fulton since it was downtown. I haven't been to the Bronx to see the newer version of it. But at Tsukiji, there's an entire section that's just live. Yeah. Wow. That's everything. Everything is live. So wow. you can get live fluke and you can get live eels and you can get live crabs, lobsters. I mean, all the, all the stuff we think of that you would normally buy live. Yeah. But you see people walking out of there with like bags, bags of live, live fish and water. I wonder what your daughter would do there. Uh, she would probably be really, really excited. She <laughs> yeah. wants to go to Japan more than anywhere else on the planet. So yeah. we'll see. Maybe 2018. That, maybe that's going to be her resolution would okay. be the, the, to get me to take her to Japan. <laughs> Um, well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was yeah, really fun. Thanks for having me. Um, if you want to know more, as I mentioned, it's thecookingproject.org is uh, Sasha's project. Uh, you can follow Sasha on Instagram at Sasha underscore scone, S-K-O-N. Uh, and you can follow the cooking project at cooking underscore project. Uh, thanks very much for listening, everybody. Thanks to David Tadashore for engineering this show. 
can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you like the show, please uh, hit like on iTunes or wherever. And you can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on social media at The Foodballer. Happy 2018. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.